In your mind, on this Palm Sunday, 2011, what is the most pressing need in our society and in your life that would lift the anxiety, the depression, the worry that most of us have? If we could get past the way we distract ourselves with uh, uh, numb ourselves, run ourselves ragging, ragged, what would be the most important need? If we listen to the media, we hear it's the roller coaster ride of the economy. Surely the American and the global economy is the most important issue of our day. Huge ups and downs in the stock market, rising prices, and loss of retirement income is no small thing. Unemployment, the housing crisis are great needs. Yet again, I do not think this tops the list of our most important need. Then if not that, surely it must be the global security, rogue nations, uprisings, as we hear so often, those who seek to build destructive weapons and use them on free societies. How will all these revolutions in the Middle East impact us? Besides, we know the price of gas. We all feel it. Additionally, multiple terrorist groups inside and out the nation trying to destroy us. Earthquakes, nuclear reaction worries, natural disasters foster even more anxieties. Yet again, I do not think these are the most important needs of our day. If not the global economy or security, what is the most important need of our day? While none of these are inconsequential, I would propose that the most important need of our day is grasping God's love and living in the reality of that love through Jesus Christ. I can imagine that someone right now is thinking, what are you talking about? That's why I'm here. I know God's love. But do we really know it? Paul wrote in the New Testament many times and prayed that we would grasp the depth, the height, the length of God's love. And I think he's realized that we need to continually grow in that knowledge of how very much God loves us. I think we know about it, but I'm not sure we know it as deeply as we need to in this day and age. If we really knew it, and I'm talking about me, this sermon is coming out of me and what I see my needs are as well. If we really knew it, would we live the way we do? We worry, we fret. We're too unaffected by that infinite love. If we really knew it in the core of our being, would we live the way we live? we would have the certainty that everything, no matter what was happening in our lives and around us, everything would be okay because God loves us that much. And that would, love would enable us to live with a peace and security because we belong to him. 
And it would be different than those who do not know Christ. I'm not sure we live a lot differently than others. And so the big question, if I'm right, is how do we experience more of God's love? The words in Romans 5, 6 through 8, Paul presents an argument, the way that Paul can argue. And he is talking about this. He's talking about God's love here. And he's saying the focal point is in the crucified Christ. And the answer is found here, he says. And, you know, he faces a daunting task there then and today. Because how do you convince Christians of the importance of living a life knowing we have nothing to worry about because of how much God loves us and how far he has already gone to prove this love? I did not say that he was trying to convince non-Christians. He's clearly writing to Christians. Look at the uh, pronouns, we and us, in these verses. Why does he address Christians? Well, we're the ones that believe in Christ. We're the ones that say that we believe God loves us. And indeed, we do. But often we give little thought to that and, time, and take it for granted or say a quick prayer. And if it doesn't work, we look for something else to help us or satisfy us. And the most times, I think, the times that most of us feel it is when we're in a jam or we're hurting. And then we have that experience of God's love and that everything is going to be okay. And we say we're going to keep it, but somehow we go back to our own power and our own way of thinking. So how do we drink deeply and constantly from this fountain of love? If it's to be found anywhere, Paul says that, and I think we believe it. It's to be found in the cross. This is the central and vital message for Christians. It's found in the cross. A third of the New Testament is speaking about the cross. There's power there, and there's more power there for us in these days. Listen to the words of Paul here in Romans. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Notice in in this scripture, God initiated every detail. We didn't. He initiated every detail of his redemptive work in Jesus Christ. The scripture, as I just read, you heard it, says, while we were still helpless, and the word helpless here implies inherent weakness. That is to say, Christ didn't die for us because we needed a helping hand or because we were edging toward him. He did not see us needing a little help on the road to salvation. We were like someone stricken with paralysis, total paralysis, totally unable to move, 
toward him, toward help and recovery. God loved us so much. He saw our state. He had compassion. And although even before we made any effort or responded in any way or showed any interest in God, he was reaching out to us. Now think about this. When you became a Christian, remember who pursued whom? Maybe you felt a small tug in your heart. Who put that tug in your heart? You can say, well, I sought the Lord. Did you always seek him? Did you always think about him? Were you sometimes indifferent, uninterested, and maybe even rebelled against spirituality or spiritual issues? And you felt God pursuing you and nagging at you and tugging at you. God did it all, if we're honest. And he continues to pursue us with his love, even when we're resisting him. He keeps us. That's what Paul is saying. While we were yet sinners, then and now, Christ died for us. Think of today. This is Palm Sunday. Jesus rode into Jerusalem like a king. And they were yelling out, make him king. Hosanna. They wanted him to be crowned king. These same people, the same voices in one week would be yelling out another message. Crucify him. Crucify him. Christ knew that would happen. He rode in as a conquering hero. And he could have been crowned king that day. They would have made him king and led a rebellion and took over the earthly kingdom. This is what the people wanted. This is what the disciples wanted. And when they did not get what they wanted, the way they wanted it, they turned against him. You know, the contrast of that day are even the contradictions of our own soul. This is a mini picture of the unreason of the depths and the heights of human love and human hate that we all struggle with and their disorder and disarray. It doesn't matter. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That does not change his love. Think of those around on Palm Sunday that Christ was going to die for a week later. The mother who birthed him, the people, the Jews who rejected him, Judas who betrayed him, Peter who denied him, and the disciples who abandoned him. He died for those soldiers who tortured him and taunted him. He died for the thief who cursed him, and he died for the thief who believed in him, and he died for those who didn't care and ignored him. That is what God's love is like. Personalize it. He knew your name and died for you before you were born. He knew your sin. He knew your need. He knew your doubt. He knows now when you're angry and when you shake your fist at heaven, it doesn't affect his love for you. He doesn't back down at human behavior. He doesn't back down when we complain, we forget to say thank you, when we willfully do what is wrong. While we were yet sinning, Christ loves us and died for us. God's love is so steady and nothing can change it. 
But in receiving that love, it can change us. What sent Christ to the cross? Love did, not our love for him. That's clear. It's God's love in Christ for each of us. He died for the ungodly, and that's all of us. If this kind of love sent Jesus to the cross, how can we doubt his sufficiency for every trial and tribulation, every worry and fret we have? The scripture says, if God is for us, who can be against us? If Christ died for us, he's for us. If he didn't spare his own son, God did not spare his own son, he will give us all things that are right and good, whether they look right and good to us or not. We're still sinners as long as we live in this world. And we, our self-improvement will not make God love us anymore. He loves us. And on this Palm Sunday, Christ proved that. Think of what he chose to do. The old King James Version says he set his face like a flint. He set it with determination and purpose to go into Jerusalem to die. He was human, fully human. He wanted to the earth's power. He wanted the earth's riches. He wanted the love of the people. He wanted to please. He wanted to do the same things we're tempted, but he set his face and his love for us to go and die because that was the only way. His loving death in our place so that we might live in his peace. He took our place and became our substitute on that cross to show us his love. During the, the U.S. Civil War, a former named Blake was drafted as a soldier, and he was deeply troubled because his wife had died of typhoid fever, and he had five children, and he had no other relatives, and he knew that if he died in the Civil War, that uh, there was a, a problem. Who was going to care for his children? And so he was very worried, and the day before he was to leave for the Army, his neighbor Charlie Durham came to visit him, and he said, Blake, I've been thinking and praying. I am concerned for you. You're needed here at home for your children, so I've decided to go in your place. And so Blake was so overwhelmed by Charlie's offer that he was speechless. The offer just seemed too good to be true, but he grasped the hand of the young man and praised God for this one who was willing to go and be his substitute. Sadly enough, Charlie was shot and killed in the first brutal battle he faced. And when Blake heard the news, he immediately saddled his horse and he rode out to the battlefield. And he found the body of his friend and arranged to have it buried in the churchyard where they would meet and have talks every Sunday. And on a piece of marble he carved the inscription for the tombstone with his own hands. It was roughly done, and with every blow of the hammer, the tears would just flow from his face. He placed the marker on the grave of his devoted substitute. Many villagers came by, and they wept as well when they read the brief 
but touching inscription. He died for me was the inscription on the grave. He died for you. Christ died for me. He demonstrates his love for us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. And as our substitute, even before we knew our need, God's love was that great. Think about it. Would you you become an ant and die in order for an ant to live? It's that magnitude. You know, what Christ did was so humbling. The cross wasn't pretty. It was so offensive that the Romans refused to allow their own citizens to be crucified no matter what they had done, what crime they had committed. Uh, Cicero said, let the very mention of the cross be far removed not only from a Roman citizen's body, but from his mind, his eyes, and his ears. Horrible. But on the cross, Christ died in physical agony long torment, and horrible public shame. Christ died for us. And part of his provision is also found in chapter 6. And to read chapter 6 through 8 this week and meditate on those verses, I think you will be touched again by the depth of God's love in that cross and the provision He died that we might have life. We have a choice to die with him on that cross and be raised with him and live through the Spirit. He opened it. He opened the doors. He opened the possibility of a choice of another way, another life, a different kind of love than any of us have ever experienced. We were helpless, but Christ died for us. He provided what we could not provide for ourselves, what we did not have. One of um, um, uh, Christian writers makes this point, I thought, in a very powerful way. He said, often, as Christians, we um, use an analogy like this, where we're in a boat fishing, and maybe we've, you know, the boat tipped, and we fell out, and we took some water in our lungs, and we were coughing coughing and sputtering and having a hard time. And so then um, it was like if Christ came and gave us a hand and helped us to shore and patted us on the back, and and, uh, we were okay. And he says, no, it's nothing like that. It's like this. You were in a boat fishing, and you fell out, and you took so much water in your lungs that you sunk to the bottom of the, of the river you were fishing, and you were laying on the bottom, dead, not breathing at all, hopeless, no way out. Christ came in, and he lifted you out. He took you to shore. He cleaned you up. He breathed the breath of life in you and gave you a whole new beginning. We were that hopeless and helpless without the power of Christ dying for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He did it all. That is the love of God in Christ. How can we live in that assurance every day? 
I think meditating and thinking again and reading the scriptures about Palm Sunday, what Christ did about on Good Friday, on Easter Sunday, he was at the crossroads and he chose to die. He didn't have to. Be sure that God loves you. He loved you before you were his child. He loves you more now that you are his child. Remember, it was for you the death he died. It was for you the way he died. It was for you that he died. He died in your place. He was your substitute. Because he loved you and me that much, he does not want us to grovel and pass mistakes or despair or worry all the time. We don't have to live like that. We live every day remembering that he gave his all for us while before we ask, while we were yet sinners, and even when we still sin. And how much more, how much easier it is for him to take care of us as we're living out his will and our lives. He will provide for us. And although we may look around and be tempted sometimes to worry or despair, we don't have to. We can choose to live in his peace. When I was a child and I would be worried, my parents would often just say to me, Remember who loves you. Remember who loves you. That would bring me peace. And this morning, this Palm Sunday, I say to you, remember who loves you. Let's pray. Father, we can't comprehend it, and we're so prone to forget it. But call us by your Spirit, even as you called us, to salvation and to you, to work this salvation, to work it out, to continue to seek to know the love and power found in that cross of Jesus Christ and that we could respond to that love by living a life different than the rest of the world and living a life that would bring you glory out of gratitude and out of love and not out of being religious or trying to earn anything, but sheer joy of being loved this much by our Father. And we pray in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.